Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Gregory Melville and Susan Fox and Kathleen Bromage. What's it like to get into the Guinness Book of World Records? What if it's for the size of your mouth? Like, doesn't seem real, you know? Like, it's, I always knew I had a big mouth, but I really have, like, the biggest mouth in the world for a female. I was like, wow, I just am surprised no one else can open it that big. Like, when I see other people who have small mouths, I'm like, wow, that's crazy. Or the amount of toothpicks you can fit in your beard. You kind of weave it together in kind of a lattice thing until it's solid. And then you just build on it from there and you just build more toothpicks into more toothpicks. Or for achieving the longest melody played by a model train. We haven't slept a lot. We had like 18 hour days, but it was so much fun. It was like, we can do anything. I'm Kyone Wolf here about the guts and glory of Guinness. That's next on Audacious, right after the news. From Connecticut Public Radio in Hartford, this is Audacious. I am Kyone Wolf, and I am going through a really hard time lately. And from the looks of gestures to everything, you may be going through some tough times, too. So today, please accept my gift of this radio show that is evergreen in its ability to spark joy. Yes, today, conversations with three people who've achieved feats of oral dominance engineering elegance and beard hair weaving mastery that has landed them in the guinness book of world records for the next 49 minutes you will forget your troubles you will no longer despair because you will meet the man who has set 10 world records with only the strength and resilience of his beard You will attempt to wrap your head around the mechanical mastery that went into creating the longest melody played by a model train. And now we begin with the owner of the largest female mouth in the world, hailing from the hometown of Gene Wilder, Stephen Sondheim, and Meatloaf, Samantha Ramsdell of Stamford, Connecticut, and her dog Prudence. When, you may wonder, did Samantha wrap her head around how much space her mouth took up in said head. Ever since I could really look in the mirror, I knew my mouth was large, naturally. Um, Ever since I was little, like, if you see pictures of me when I was young, like, my mouth has always been 80% of my face. But I guess, like, it really was in grade school where, like, you know, I'd make these crazy faces that kids would be like, what is, you know, holy crap, you know? And, And I talk a lot, too, you know, of course, you know, got names for it and called names for it growing up. Like what? Oh, um, the biggest one was like Big Mouth Bass, Fish Girl, um, Frog. I got a lot of, you look like a frog. Um, got like like a lot of Pitbull, looked like a Pitbull. I have the jowls of a Pitbull. <laughs> I'm glad you can laugh about it now. Good. Yes, yes, of course. I mean, at this point, you know, and I still, the thing is, is, like, I still get them now to this day. So it's been 
like almost like this acceptance of it and like growing my own confidence in it to be, you know, cause there's this part of it where it's also like, you know, I've looked at it as a, as a flaw and like something where I didn't really want to show it off because I knew I got called names for it. And, we'd, you know, I felt like it, you know, made me less attractive, you know? So I was, always, you know, I talk about how I've always used to like try and keep my mouth small. Like I never wore lipstick. I'd put concealer over my lips. You know, I'd always like be very conscious about not making my mouth big because I got so many comments about it. So what changed? Like there had to have come a point where you're like, where you're like, I'm going to just lean into this or, or whatever. Like what, what changed so you could grow into your mouth? Well, it was social media, you know, really was when I started doing more, obviously, you know, one of my, the big platform that I gained a lot of my notoriety was TikTok. And I was trying to be a singer and a performer in New York city before COVID. And like every other live performer in the world was like, okay, what the heck am I going to do? TikTok was blowing up. So I started going on TikTok and I would make these, you know, crazy faces. And if you're on TikTok, there's like this trending filter where it makes your mouth really big. And there'll be all these trends, you know, where like, you know, you're normal and then you put the filter on. And I would always be like, don't need a filter for that. You know, and I'd do it with a hashtag filter. no filter. <laughs> so that was like, you know, it's like in all my bios, like, no, it's not a filter because even to this day, people will be like, is that a filter? It's like, no, it's just not. Oh, prudence. Prudence. Um, so it really was the kids that were like, you know, the kids, I call them the kids on TikTok, but you know, really was the people who follow me on TikTok that were like, we love it. You, you know, like people who were like accepting of it and how fast my account grew when I leaned into that. And when I, you know, showed my vulnerable side and I showed, you know, I was taking something that I was insecure about and like now made it this like superpower in a way. Now, does this run in your family at all? It does not. So my dad has a big smile, but not really, like not to the extent that I do. And, you know, I've had them ask, you know, like, was this like, you know, great, great grandparents? Was it passed down somehow? Does the big mouth skip a generation? Right. Exactly. Yeah. But no, no one to this extent. For those who can't see you, because this is radio, will you give me an idea for the things you can fit into your mouth? So we can visualize what we're working with here. Yes. Some of my infamous videos, I can do three donuts in my mouth at one time. Wait, glaze, uh, Boston cream. Yeah. Well, normally yeah, I'll do the ones that aren't like filling, you know, just so it doesn't get too messy, but I can do three. Yeah. Like glazed donuts normally. Um, I will get, and then, um, I can do a big Mac. I can do a big Mac in one bite. Like a whole Big Mac. A whole Big Mac. I can fit a whole. <laughs> Apples. I can fit a whole apple. Done that. I've done an apple. Um, a ball of yarn. You know, you know, I really, I can do a whole wine glass. Um, <laughs> I can drink a glass of wine with no hands. Comes in handy. You never know what might happen to your hands. You never know. And yeah, those are pretty much, those are like kind of the big, you know, the big ones that normally surprise people. Oh, and I can fit 39 grapes. Do you know that there's a Spanish uh, tradition that on New Year's, that when the clock strikes midnight on New Year's, you have to put a grape in your mouth for each tick of the clock. And if you can fit all of them into your mouth by the time the ticking is over, then you'll have good luck for that year. So if you're ever in Spain for New Year's, it's basically guaranteeing that you'll always have a lucky year. 
oh my God, how did I not hear about that? I had not heard that. It's an honor to tell you this of all people. I knew I knew that information for some reason. It would come in handy. That is going to be my new tradition. New Year's Eve for Spanish people, yes. So I'm, I'm sorry to ask this next question. Are How sick are you of the sexual innuendos? I mean, it's just, it, it blows my mind to some degree of like, like how people really think that might work. Like that pickup line might work. You know what I mean? Like, you know, and I've also I, like just requests that I'm like, someone wanted to pay me, like, I think it was like over like 200 bucks just for like a video of me yawning. They just wanted a video of me yawning and they would pay me, I think it was like 300 bucks or something like that. You know, obviously just like weird requests. Like I've had a person ask like after I, cause I do a sandwich Saturday, like every Saturday I go find a big sandwich and someone had asked for my next day bowel movement to be mailed to them and they would pay me for that. And I was like, what? What is this world? What is this world? So there's things like that that I'm like, I didn't even know people like this existed in the world, you know, where I'm like, oh my God. So yeah, just like stuff that it's just like, I can't believe, yeah, that people like this like that kind of stuff. I mean, I'll never yuck another's yum, but some stuff it's like, that's pushing the limits. Um, what's interesting about about seeing you and talking with you is like, yeah, when, when we connect and when I see you, yeah, you have a big mouth, but but it's only really clear that it's a large mouth when you use it that way. So it's almost like a secret weapon in a way. Is that how you tend to use it when you're going out and about? Totally. Well, and I think, you know, especially with some of my friends that know me, but, you know, people that know me and don't know me super well, like people I work with who, when they saw this come out, they're like, what? Like they didn't believe it. They're like, I don't believe that until I'm like, you know, really show it off. Then people are like, oh my God, you know? And of course, when I talk, like you're saying, like, you can tell it's bigger, but until I really like open wide, then people are like, wow, that is a big mouth. <laughs> so it does come handy. You know, I guess it's, I guess it's a nice thing that I'm not walking around all day with like this huge. Yeah, you'd be exhausted. I mean, well, I, that makes me wonder, is your face stronger, more muscular now? Like, do you feel like you've worked it out? Definitely. Well, you know, it's funny. I get a lot of like, does that hurt? Like, do you hurt? Does it, you know, does your jaw get, um, you know, cramps or anything? And it's funny. I really, I don't, I don't, it doesn't get sore. Like it gets more, I think it's like my neck, you know, and the muscles more get like tired, you know? And just like, if I'm holding it for a long time, it's like, you know, it's like my neck that just gets, yeah, it's like a month, you know, it's like any muscle if you're working at a time, especially when I had Guinness here and they were here for like eight hours and it was like two hours of the measurement. Of course they wanted every angle. So I had to hold my mouth for like hours. And like, by the end of the day, I was like, oh my God, my mouth, <laughs> like my neck was like, I need a massage, but I, it's gotten, it's definitely gotten stronger. Cause I think it's more of just like the muscles, you know, that can widen my mouth so much that really, you know, I look at that, you know, people are like, has it gotten stretched more? I, you know, if anything, I just think, yeah, it's just gotten more jacked. I just got a jack. Yeah. Your face is jacked. Your neck is jacked. Will you back me up uh, to Guinness? How did that happen? Okay. So truly it was TikTok and people commenting. So of course, you know, once everyone, you know, all, you know, everyone on TikTok was like, oh my God, this girl has this big mouth. Of course they started sending me 
the measurement requires requirements. Like you can just Google, you know, biggest mouth measurements. And they kept tagging me and sending it to me and commenting on all my posts. I'm like, all right, I'll do it. So, you know, I did the measurements on a TikTok. And of course, you know, I beat it. And everyone in the comments was then tagging Guinness. Because Guinness is actually does a lot. I think they like, of course, they have like a huge following. Because of course, everyone, you know, loves to look at this kind of stuff. And um, so they are very active on social media. So of course, they have a whole team. And they, someone from their team emailed me and was like, oh my gosh, we've seen all your TikToks. We've seen all, you know, we keep getting tagged. Let's see if you really do. Can you send us like, you know, some real measurements? And that was in January. So I think, you know, a lot of people don't know how much goes into it. I mean, it really was six months back and forth. Uh, There's, you know, I mean, they have like two pages of all the different things I had to get, like blood work done to prove I'm not on medications that would stretch my mouth letter from a doctor that I haven't had any surgery or any like type of medical issues, <laughs> all the different types of measures. There's certain instrument you have to use. There's a certain caliper that, you know, is so exact and precise, you know, cause I need it down to like the 0.01 centimeters, you know, it was a lot of back and forth and, you know, finding a dentist that would be, you know, down to do this too, you know, cause it, it was a lot of work on them having to have the crew come down there multiple times and I had to get witnesses and get them to sign and get them on camera. Yeah, it was crazy. So how did it feel when it was official? Like you have the largest mouth belonging to a female human being in the world. How did that feel? It's crazy. Like part of it just like, doesn't seem real, you know, like it's, I always knew I had a big mouth, but I really have like the biggest mouth in the world for a female. I was like, wow, I just, I'm surprised no one else can open it that big. Like when I see other people who have small mouths, I'm like, wow, that's crazy. How does, what is your life like? <laughs> yeah, like, what is that like? <laughs> that Well, next you can interview me. Yeah. I'll tell you what it's like. Well, I have a friend, her mouth is so small. And we actually like did a comparison and we just die laughing. I'm like, that life would be so different. Like, can you imagine like where I'd be without my mouth now, you know? Well, that makes me wonder, like, how much is this? I want to, I want to ask, like, how much is this you, you know, like you equals this. And is that okay? Is there, is there, is there anything that sucks about that? You know, cause you are more than your mouth. Right. Well, I think that's been the biggest thing for me is like, well, I don't want to be known for just my mouth, you know, for the rest of my life. But I also just keep in mind that, you know, and a lot of people reach out and the best messages I get are, you know, from people that are like, I saw your story, like, you know, what, what you're doing and how you embrace, you know, your mouth, like gives me the confidence, you know, to embrace what I think is different or unique about me. And, you know, just from all the press that it's given me, not only it's, you know, I've grown my audience on my social media, but it's also, you know, obviously my hope is with all these, you know, interviews and getting to be on these really cool, like CNN interviewed me yesterday and like inside edition, like these huge, like international news stations, you know, I know. And now you're on audacious on Connecticut public. So I don't know where you're going to go from here. You know, it's like, hopefully it gets in to, in front of the right person where they're like, you know, and I can show off my comedic side and show off my, you know, hopefully drive people to my social media, which then, you know, a lot of it there is my comedy and my singing and all the other stuff that I do. So I hope people see me for the mouth, but then they stay for all the other stuff. 
if someone were to say, hey, I think that I have a body part or something that is exceptional, I'm thinking maybe it would be Guinness worthy, but I'm not sure. Yeah. What would you say to that person who thinks that there's something different about them? Maybe they're self-conscious about it, yeah. but they also know it's special. Like what, what kind of guidance would you have? First of all, you know, celebrate it and know that, you know, it makes you different. And I feel like there's we're in a, like a day and age where like everyone wants to look the same. Like, you know, it's, I feel like you go online and everyone wants to look like the Kim Kardashian. Everyone's getting everything done. And it's like, we all are trying to look like the same person when it's like, we should be celebrating what makes us different. There's a million people in the world. Like that's, you know, it's a gift. Think of it as a gift. It's something that, you know, you have that no one else does. And in terms of Guinness, I mean, totally there's, I mean, if you go on their website, you can kind of do it, you know, the old fashioned way. And I mean, they had me do it too, but, um, after they contacted me, there's an application where you can go through and start to apply and see if, you know, see if you got it, but why not? You know, I mean, so many people have seen my story now and, you know, again, I've gotten amazing messages that I've, you know, hopefully inspired or made someone's day by hearing my story and you never know what it could lead to. Well, Samantha Ramsdell, thank you for sharing your story with me and congratulations on your Guinness World Record. Thank you so much. It was so good chatting with you. I appreciate you reaching out. When we get back, what did it feel like after installing 3,500 toothpicks into your own beard? My neck and shoulders were very sore, but the feeling of uh, accomplishment was worth it. Like it was totally worth it. And then all aboard, find out what kind of one track mind you have to have to Create the world's longest melody played by a model train. I'm Kyone Wolf. This is Audacious. Stay with me. This is Audacious. I'm Kyone Wolf. Today, you're taking a break from the harsh realities of human existence on the planet Earth in the 21st century and turning towards the glorious realities of what it takes to achieve a Guinness World Record. Later in the show, you'll find out how a team of geniuses took a locomotive of reduced size and 3,000 drinking glasses to achieve the world record for longest melody played by a model train. But first, the man behind the beard that launched 10 Guinness World Records, hailing from the hometown of Kurt Cobain, Matt Groening, and MLB outfielder Shin Soo Chu, Joel Strasser of Olympia, Washington. We stumbled upon Joel when we heard about his world record for the most toothpicks in a beard. So, Joel, why toothpicks? I was, and I still am, a trainer at work. I trained adults in insurance. Insurance claims are not particularly um, exciting. It's not a thing that people do for excitement. So I have to jump in and just let you know, living in Hartford, the insurance capital of the that's world, right. I can confirm. Yeah, Hartford steam boiler. I mean, I, I know there's a lot of- The Hartford? Yeah. Aetna? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, it's not exciting. And so- a while back, I just started putting pencils in my beard as I walked around the classroom just to see who was paying attention. 
and it kind of became a thing that people would look for and watch for like, Oh, if we don't pay attention, he'll start putting pencils in his beard again. And one of the learners challenged me and said, I bet there's like a world record for that. So uh, or he said like, how many do you think you can fit in your beard? And he looked it up and there was no world record for most pencils in a beard, but there was a world record for most toothpicks in a beard. And it was over 3000. And I was like, yeah, that's awesome. But that will never happen. That's impossible. Plus the man who held the toothpick beard world record before me, his beard is so massive and so incredible. It makes my beard look like a little goatee in comparison. (laughs) And um, so you take that plus the number and I never thought I would ever do that, but I make YouTube videos for fun. And I'm always trying to think of some wacky, silly thing to do on a video. And I thought, you know, just for fun, I'm going to see how many toothpicks I can get in my beard. So I tried it. And on my first attempt, I got a lot closer to the record than I thought I would. Because it turned out I have a knack for building things in my beard. I'm, I guess I'm good at that. So it's not just sticking toothpicks in randomly. It's building a structure on my face. And once you've built that structure, then it holds more and more and you can make it get bigger. So that's how it started. And once I broke the record unofficially, just at home, I was like, I want to make this official. I want to like get that certificate and be in that book. So I figured out how you got what you got to go through to make a record be official. And I figured it out and I did it. And then I just kept going after that. And now here you are on Audacious, yeah. Connecticut Public, and I don't, you've reached the summit. <laughs> yes, exactly. I, who thought? Who would have ever thought? So you were talking about the the technique, the style of sticking 3,500 toothpicks in your beard. It's not, you don't just stick it in willy-nilly, right? What's, what's the technique? You got to weave them. You think about how, I don't know if this is even a good comparison, but I think about how a bird builds a nest. And you kind of weave it together in kind of a lattice thing until it's solid. And then you just build on it from there and you just build more toothpicks into more toothpicks. That guy who held the record before me, his, like I said, his beard is unmatched. It's one of the most glorious beards I've ever seen, but his tactic was not the same as mine. And I figured out if I can have a better tactic that I can win even with a much smaller beard. And it took you three hours and 13 minutes to do this thing. How did your body feel when it was done? My neck and shoulders were very sore uh, because you're slowly adding weight to the front of your face just over a long period of time. And it adds up after a while. So, yeah, it was sore, but the feeling of uh, accomplishment was worth it. Like it was totally worth it. What was your technique for getting them out? With the toothpick record, I just shook my face back and forth really fast and they just flew everywhere. And it looks really cool in the video. I like got a slow motion clip of it and there's just toothpicks flying in every direction. Glorious. People's eyes out left and right. You've said that you have 10 world records. What are the other ones? So all 10 of them are for putting things in my beard. Um, that's my specialty, I guess. So toothpicks first, then straws, then golf tees, chopsticks, Christmas ornaments, then paper straws, which is a separate record from regular straws. Oh, definitely. Especially these days. Yeah. Yeah. 
In fact, they discontinued the plastic straw record, by the way. So that record can never be beaten. That will be my it's responsible of Guinness. Yeah, I appreciate that responsibility because it codified me forever in that record. <laughs> so, and then, um, gosh, I, I well, let me look. I have a cheat sheet right behind me. I love that um, you need one. Yeah, I, I, they all get kind of blended together. Um, <laughs> clothes pins, then pencils, and then most toothpicks in a beard in one minute. I think that's all 10 of them. Uh, so what was your favorite? Or what, what, what was the most fulfilling? The most fulfilling was one that I didn't win. And that was the most recent one I attempted, which was most bobby pins in a beard. Um, and we were raising money for these four kids who lost their moms to cancer. It took us 16 hours, I think. The person who I went up against, he's something of a celebrity. Um, his name's Dean Banowitz, the Hollywood hair guy. He's a stylist. So when I got to 4,000 bobby pins, he had like 4,800. And so he won that record and he earned it, that record. I don't think anyone will ever break that record. It was such a grueling experience, but it was awesome. And we raised over $30,000. It was incredible. So the most fulfilling record was the one I didn't win. When I think about world records, I think, um, you know, it's intimidating to go after a world record. It takes guts. And so for those who are listening right now and they're thinking, huh, Maybe there's some sort of record out there that I could beat, but I don't know if I have the wherewithal to try it. What would be your advice? I believe that anyone who wants to can be the best in the world at something. And part of the reason I believe that is because so many people are not willing to try and not willing to put themselves out there that if you wanted to break a world record, I think you could. For some people, it would be harder than others. But there are so many, I mean, look at the silly world records that I hold. There's so many world records out there um, that there is something that you could learn how to do and that you could do better than anyone else has done. I am a big proponent of the idea of having a growth mindset, believing you can do something, and then sticking to it and practicing it until you do. And um I've actually coached a few people to break world records, and it's a lot of fun. I totally helped Dean um, when we went head-to-head. He didn't need my help with his technique, but he I totally helped him to believe he could when we were talking about this before we did it. And um, there were other people that I've helped. And I actually really like that process of somebody who wants to break a record and thinks maybe they can and helping them get along get through the process of turning all the evidence in because that's a whole big challenge on its own and getting to that point where they have that certificate and getting to play a little part in that and showing them that they could do that too. It's a fun thing for me. My final question may be the most difficult to answer. If your beard could talk, what would it say? I think it'd probably tell me to stop abusing it. <laughs> you know? I, I, I pamper it. I take good care of it. I, I feed it really good beard oil and beard balm and stuff like that. But then I keep putting all this crap in it and str- and like, I don't know, straight stretching it. I don't know what that is, but 
like with that bobby pin attempt that I did recently, I lost tons of hair when the bobby pins came out. So yeah, I think it would say just just leave me alone. Just let me be be myself. Quit uh, quit using me for your <laughs> for your glory or what whatnot. I don't know. Well, then a quick follow up. What would you like to say to your beard? Thank you. Thank you for giving me the fame and fortune and everything that goes with it. No, you know, my beard's given me 15 minutes of fame and it's, it's kind of fun, but, uh, you know, I should, I should tell you what my wife would say. She's, she's, um, put up with my beard for a long time. She wishes it was way shorter than it is. I used to keep it short and trimmed up and she liked that. And she's patiently and sometimes not so patiently waiting for me to get past the phase that I'm in now and where I can go back to having a short trimmed up beard. Well, Joel Strasser, thank you so much for talking with me and congratulations. Thank you. And thanks for uh, letting me be a part of the Audacious podcast. After the break. It was, first of all, just fun. We knew we want to do this and we found so many roadblocks nobody ever thought of. What do you do when attempting to make the world's longest melody played by a model train goes off the rails? You keep on chugging. I'm Kyone Wolf. This is Audacious. Be right back. This is Audacious. I'm Kyone Wolf. Today, you're meeting people who've achieved Guinness World Records. So far, you've met the owner of the largest female mouth known to planet Earth, and you've met the man whose beard held over 3,000 toothpicks and nine other world records. And now, I'm going to play you a clip of the sound of our final Guinness World Record. As you listen to this clip, imagine you're hanging out with a group of creative geniuses in Hamburg, Germany. The place you're standing in is called the Miniature Wunderland. That's German for miniature wonderland. Now, if you live in Germany, a description of Miniature Wunderland is redundant because everybody knows about Miniature Wunderland. But just in case you haven't stepped foot in Germany, you need to know that this place is super famous for its model railways. What's the big deal, you may be wondering, or miniature wondering, about model railways? There are over 1,300 trains there, and 50,000 feet of track. There are 400,000 human figurines and half a million lights. Not only are the trains moving, you might see a, a house catching fire and fire trucks rushing to the rescue or, or planes taking off and landing at an airport. There is so much detail, like elephants wagging their tails at the zoo or a photo shoot or divers exploring a shipwreck. It's, it's, it's really hard to take it all in. Even though everything is so small, the feelings when you're in there are so big. Anyway, back to the creative geniuses you're hanging out with. It's right at the beginning of COVID, and you all think you're about to be shut down for maybe mm, a week, maybe two. Oh, those 
Simpler times. So everybody in this group is thinking, ah, two weeks with no visitors. Actually, I, I'm sorry. I suck at doing a German accent. Here's my producer, Jessica Severin de Martinez, who is from Germany, reenacting your inner monologue. Ah, two weeks with no visitors. Wunderbar. Let's use the space our guests would normally be standing in to lay down even more tracks and set a world record for longest melody played by a model train. How hard could it be? Yes, how hard could it be to compose and successfully percuss 20 classical melodies against 3,000 drinking glasses over a track that spans almost the length of two football fields? Well... Turns out the challenges involved with this project would truly test the ingenuity of German engineering, because this team is figuring out how to make it work when they learn that they may have bitten off more than they can choo-choo. I'm going to let Thomas Chenny, the team leader of this group at Miniature Wonderland, explain some of the challenges they were up against and how they kept chugging along and keeping track of every last detail without running out of steam. So, so we, we placed like, we built a track where, where visitors stand usually. And this was like, like a, a plate of wood. And then we put like a, a tracks on, on this and, and then glasses. Like drinking glasses, get... like wine glasses. Exactly. We had, uh, we went like to, to uh, a rental service for party. To party oh, like a catering company. <laughs> Yeah, exactly, a catering company, and tested different glasses because we needed, like, we said, okay, we would need at least two octaves of notes. And then we tried all glasses and hit them and, and filled them with water. So, so we found, like, seven glasses um, that allowed us two and a half octaves of tonal range. The next thing was, okay, we put the glasses um, beside the track. And initially, like, the train had just, like, from... Um, percussion, those little, um, how do you call this? this mallets. Things? Uh, mallets, exactly, mallets. And we said, oh, and we immediately saw, okay, if you just put a mallet on a train and fix it, it will like push the, the glass over. <laughs> so we inserted like in, in, into the stick of the mallet like a, a little spring. Okay, then it worked somehow. And we noticed, okay, the sound of, of the glass is like very silent. And the train, the running noises of the train were much louder. So you he didn't hear, really hear the glass. And then the first thing was how to work out, okay, how to make the sound of the glass louder than the noises of the train. We had to figure out how to get even more power in, into hitting the glasses. And then one night I came up with the idea, let's make like a V thing where the first one is covered with cloth. And if we now, has a glass <laughs> the first one you don't hear because it's covered in cloth and then the second one hits it with the power of the spring and because there were thousands of glasses the, the spring wore out pretty quickly so we replaced the spring here with magnets <laughs> so so um we we could like like uh, do many takes and always have the same power uh, on hitting the glass next thing was how to play four glasses at once <laughs> um, we came up with this solution. We had four rows of glasses, two on the inside, two on the outside. And the outside ones were on, on a little piece of wood, so they are higher. So this thing passes over the inner rows of glasses 
it hits the one on the outside. But because of this <laughs> delicate mechanism, the position of the glasses uh, relative to the track has to be precise to like uh, two millimeters. So, so we built templates um, that we could put on the, on the track and had like the position where the mallet uh, on the locomotive would be. Um, the problem was curves. <laughs> um, if you make chords, all notes uh, have to be hit at once. And if, if you put, have like such a curve and then you, you put a template on it, which is straight, the locomotive won't be straight because like the front of the locomotive might already be in a curve where the end might not. So you have a um, um, changing degree of where um, glasses have to put relative to the, to, to the track to be hit at once. So, um, <laughs> oh my God. This is hurting my brain a little bit. I came up with a, with a solution while e eating sushi <laughs> uh, and, and, and we had like the sticks. And then I thought, okay, the locomotive on a curve is like a tangent. And if we want to get it right, we need to, to like build a locomotive simulator. So we built like um, a wagon, which has like the same properties as the locomotives or the distance between the wheels. And this is like the position of where the mallets and the locomotive are. So um, we could put this on the track and now find out Fantastic. where to put our glasses in curves. Yep. Because we could just place them here and then it's exactly right. This is this is like a whole new definition of German engineering. Yeah. <laughs> and actually, it, it was kind of engineering, but it was first of all just fun. We knew we wanted to do this, and we found so many roadblocks nobody ever thought of. But 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 we really we had a great team, and like we started with two people, then with each problem we found, it took like half a day to um, to find a solution. But we had like a fixed end date. So the only way to get the time back was to put in more people. In the end, 120 people <laughs> were involved. Two weeks, like this were about 3,000 hours of work put into this project when we thought like two people, two weeks, like 20 hours would be more, more than enough. It, I've never seen something escalate this quickly <laughs> this project you were finding problems to solve and you had you couldn't have possibly anticipated it yeah oh uh, another thing nobody thought of was um, just let me get a glass uh, <laughs> we, we never found two glasses that had the same tone this glass empty can sound like two uh, in a range of four tones different so you couldn't say, I take this glass, fill it with 100 uh, milliliters of water, and this is this tone, 100 milliliters more is another tone. So you had to tune each glass by itself. And then we thought, okay, let's use like guitar tuners or something. But the problem is like glasses aren't instruments. When you hit a glass, there's not just the bass tone you hear, you hear a lot of notes, over, over notes, and which of these is the most present to the human ear, you don't know because our tuning devices, they couldn't decide which tone uh, to, to choose. Then, then we, we tried with uh, spectral analyzers to find out the tones and then we had all the tones, but still we couldn't say which one is the dominant tone for the human ear. In the end, we had to tune each glass 
by people who could hear, like good enough to tune glasses. And how many glasses are we talking about here? Uh, 3,000. And if you're filling them with water, water evaporates. And so aren't you constantly <laughs> trying to tune these? Very good point. We found out that like after an hour, just enough water evaporated to like really make the tone sound different. And if you have like chords with four notes, we had to ensure that once we tune a glass, it keeps the tone. And I pretty quickly found out that if you put like on the water in the glass, like a thin layer of oil, this helps a lot. The problem was the oil I used was like um, cooking oil and it's so thick that it made the glass not sound like a glass, but very dull. dull. Then we, we tried with different, uh, we, we tried different oils. And then we find like a machine oil that, that our mechanics use, which is very light and not dense. And this oil really, like we had uh, over three days, like 5% evaporation of water. And with this oil, we reduced it to like 0.001%. So just, we, we could tune a glass and a week later, it would have like the same tone. And so we put on all the glasses after we tuned them, like, like a little layer of oil, and then the oil like changes the tune a bit. So we, we retuned the glass, like fine-tuned the glasses, but then we could be sure they would keep their tone. Thomas, I don't really know what to make of this. Here's the thing. We, we wanted to talk to you about this amazing world record. And when you watch the video, and of course, we'll play a clip from the video so people can hear it, but, you know, visualizing this, this train and the mallets hitting the glasses, and it's so charming, and it's so funny, and you can't help but smile. And I was going to ask you, like, how do you choose the songs? How do people react to it? Why do you think people are so thrilled by it? But I am realizing that this sweet, innocent, charming world record is truly a feat of engineering skill and problem solving that happens to be charming and sweet. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, <laughs> regarding your other questions, we, we had like a list of like a hundred melodies and then asked our staff, okay, which one do you recognize? And that then well, we just chose those most people recognized. So it was like 28 different melodies and we just chose the most popular ones. We posted it on our social media, Facebook, Instagram, and, and so on. And it was popular, but um, Guinness World Records posted it as well on their Facebook page. And their post went absolutely viral. Um, they called us. They said, we have never had a video performing this good <laughs> ever. A uh, hundred million people have watched the video. This was just amazing. And we got calls from all over the world, from Japan. We were in Canadian evening news. Um, so many people got to us and, and said, okay, it was in the midst of lockdown. We published a video at the beginning of April. And so many people said, okay, it's so nice to see someone make something of lockdown because this wouldn't have been possible um, outside of lockdown because we couldn't have put uh, the track in, inside the exhibition where visitors usually walk. And people said, okay, this was like an inspiring project to make something of this bad situation. We are a tourist attraction and lockdown was terrible, but it also was an opportunity to do something like this. 
Yeah, we had first gotten in touch with you back when we did our show, Audacious Little Things, and we, the timing of the interview didn't work out for it. But coming from the miniature wonderland, what do you think it is about model trains, both in the context of this amazing installation you've developed, and in general, why do you think people are so drawn to miniature trains? Well, it's the combination of like this, wow, is this big? And at the same time, discover all the little details. And our model builders, each one has his own sense of humor. And if you look at, like, at different parts of the exhibition, you can tell uh, like uh, the personality of, of the, the person who built it. It tells a story and it's, it's like a look into a world like uh, you can't have outside. And it's like, we don't try to be a perfect world where no problems exist. We try to make people aware of like things and, and issues we have in real world, like in a, in a sympathetic way, like be it climate change or be it, uh, social issues. We try to, to show them with a grain of salt. Did you ruin any glasses? We, we glued each glass to the track. We, we, we had like a, adhesive tape. And I think in the end, just 50 glasses broken or something. So this was pretty good, I think. So, Thomas, what did you learn from all of this? Never underestimate anything. <laughs> Try things and uh, get a hold and a, and a picture of, of a thing before you do it. Because in this case, learning by doing and, and just trying and uh, iterating and, and f fixing all problems on the way, it make this whole thing escalate, blow up, extremely so if i would have like put more time like in experimenting like three more days of testing i think we could have done it much more efficiently now that you know what a challenge this was and you know what a huge payoff it was would you do it again <laughs> anytime <laughs> Really, uh, we, we haven't slept a lot in the, in the last week of the project. We had like 18-hour days uh, for a week, but um, it was so much fun. With each problem we found and we solved, it was so rewarding. And we had uh, the whole team, which was like at home for half a year because of lockdown. Then we called them back to help on this project. Everybody... Had, had a spirit, okay, let's do this. Let's make this work. It was so much fun. It was really great. And we, we have like so many creative, crazy people that are also nerdy. And regardless of what you need, is, is it a software? Is it like a mechanical solution or something? There are people that can do it. And this makes this place so special. Like this is the spirit of we can do anything. If somebody wanted to set a world record, maybe not doing what you've done, but they've got an idea and it's exciting them and they're not sure if they should go for it. What would you say to them? If you have a dream of doing something, of achieving something, there's nothing more rewarding than like realizing it and prove to yourself, okay, I've done something exceptional. There's nobody in the world who's better at doing this thing than me at the moment. Uh, this may be an ego thing, but but this is a rewarding thing, and this is, is an achievement because because we have so many people and so many clever people and so many talented people, and to achieve something 
that nobody else had is still special. It was worth everything. Well, Thomas Chenning, thank you so much for talking with me and congratulations. You're very welcome. Thank you. I mentioned at the top of the show that I'm going through some really difficult personal times right now. And when I watched that six minute video of this amazing musical train and the tour it takes through the miniature Wunderland, it was six minutes of awe instead of anxiety, bright eyes instead of sad eyes, and instead of despair, wonder or wunder. So whether you're struggling with really hard things right now too, or if you're doing okay, do yourself a favor and check out that video at ctpublic.org slash audacious. Today's show was produced by me, Jessica Severin Martinez, Kelly Langevin, Missy Carvalho, and Katie Talarski at Connecticut Public Radio in Hartford. Subscribe to Audacious, and you'll always get to hear the show a day early. Plus, you can listen back to shows featuring things like what it's like being the German overdub voice of Peter Griffin from Family Guy and Will Smith, and why a sculpturist dubbed the eighth wonder of the world, whose client list includes the Queen of England, will never feel satisfied with the tininess of his art. You can hear them all wherever you get your podcasts. And thanks for leaving that review on the show. Like this one from Veg TPT Girl. Excellent podcast. I love this podcast. Kion covers topics I didn't even know I wanted to learn more about until I heard the episode. And she does everything with empathy and compassion. Highly recommend. Thanks, Veg TPT Girl. Your review really helps people find us, and my ego appreciates it too. Send me your reactions and show ideas on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Kion Wolf. And my email is seawolf at ctpublic.org. Thanks for listening. <laughs>